Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, a very, very extremely honored to have this guest on tonight. Very, very special guest tonight. Just let me read this. Courage comes in many guises. For myself, I've always been drawn to men of fortitude and bravery in confronting adversity. Our guest tonight is just such a man. As Edmund Burke once said, the only thing for evil to flourish is that good men remain silent. And our guest tonight did not do that in any respect. I am honored tonight to speak with Abraham Bolden. Abraham Bolden is the first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by JFK himself. He was not on duty that day. And I can assure you, if he was, the president would be living right now. Before the assassination, Mr. Bolden was constantly chastising fellow agents for being drunk and bringing prostitutes into their rooms. All the while, they're supposed to be on duty to protect the president. Shades of what just took place a few weeks ago, folks, with President Obama. Um, whole Secret Service staff was dismissed because they were doing the same darn thing right on the road with supposed to be protecting President Obama. They were all drunk and they were all womanizing. Tonight, folks, the true story of the first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by John Fitzgerald Kennedy himself and his quest to reveal the truth about the cover-up of the assassination. I am honored, sir. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome. Night Fright, your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. And now your host, Brent Holland. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Welcome to Night Fright. Get the coffee going. Get the tea going. Wonderful guest with us tonight. Living history, folks. I am truly honored and blessed to have been able to speak with Mr. Bolden. Now, I think, sir, this is our fourth time together or third time together. How are you, yeah. sir? Uh, I'm very, very well. Uh, thank you very much, Brent, for putting me on your program. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Live via Skype, folks from Chicago. Um, Mr. Bolden, let's jump in right away. I had alluded to President Obama at the beginning of the show. Do you fear we're going to end up with another dead president? Yes, if the Secret Service continue in that same conduct, I do fear. That wasn't the first incident. As a matter of fact, that was the third incident. You recall that there were some uninvited guests right at the White House who shook hands with President Obama. And then the second thing happened in Australia when the itinerary of the president was found in a gutter. 
Now this is the third third incident within a couple of year period. And I do feel for the safety of our president of the United States. Now, sir, now prior to JFK's assassination, you were basically saying the same things. Um, that you were afraid that the fellow Secret Service agents were drunk on duty. They were bringing women back. Um, there was derogatory statements made towards you. You think the Secret Service would have learned from a previously dead president and I don't know, do they think it's a fraternity club, sir? Is that what it is? Uh, you, would, you would think so. You would think that they would have conducted themselves much better than they did over in Colombia. Of course, if you don't uh, put your foot down and make the necessary changes within the administration and, and uh, have a higher regard for your duty, then you're going to make the same mistake. And I was afraid of that. Folks, we're speaking with Abraham Bolden. He is the first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by John F. Kennedy himself. His book is called The Echo from Daily Plaza, the true story of the first African-American on the White House Secret Service detail and his quest for justice after the assassination of JFK. Just go to the www.nightfrightshow website. Just click on the book cover. That'll take you right to a place where you can order this book. Folks, we're going to get into a lot of the stories, the true stories. Um, we're going to take you right into the White House, what it was like trying to protect President Kennedy. Um, Mr. Bolden is going to relay a lot of those stories. Perhaps, sir, um, I would like to revisit President Obama after and perhaps some of your recommendations um, for his safety but let's start off let's go back to the beginning with uh, President Kennedy sir how did you come to meet President Kennedy well at the look at the smile on your face isn't that wonderful yeah, me too wonderful me too man. every time I think about him I I have to smile because I thought he was a wonderful president and, and a most gracious man I uh, went into the Secret Service in 1960 after becoming the first African-American Pinkerton detective. And I went from there into the, United, the uh, uh, Illinois State Police, uh, where I stayed four years. During that time, uh, President Kennedy in 1960 was on the campaign trail. I had an opportunity to see him in Peoria, Illinois, where I was a state policeman. And during the, the, his visit there in Peoria, Illinois, I happened to talk to one of the agents who had done an advance. The president was, uh, President Kennedy was only a senator then, but uh, the Secret Service were doing some undercover advances, even though the president was just a senator because there was a lot of hate generated because of his religion. Now, I uh, talked to one of the supervisors of the Secret Service as to whether or not there were any Negro agents within the Secret Service. He told me that he didn't think so, but make an application, which I did. And I ended up being transferred to Chicago as a member of the United States Secret Service on October 30th of 1960. Now, the president came to Chicago, McCormick Place, in order to thank Mayor Daley uh, for his assistance in, in uh, getting the election here in Chicago, which uh, Kennedy won by some 8,000 votes. And uh, of course, the uh, history of this thing is that uh, that uh, 
Kennedy won by 8,000 votes, but knowing Chicago politics, there were about 7,999 that were voted from the graveyard. That's <laughs> why I was laughing. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. President Kennedy understood that. Well, being a new agent, uh, uh, I was stationed at a innocuous uh, uh, place as a Secret Service agent, which was on the first floor of McCormick Place, guarding a washroom. Now, when that assignment was given to me, I had uh, a little hope of seeing the president because the president was going to be on the first floor in the large banquet room. And uh, so I was standing there about 8.30 on the April 28th of 1961 when I heard the motorcade pull up in front of McCormick Place. And uh, I wanted to go upstairs, but I couldn't, I, I could not leave my post. I wanted to get a glimpse of President Kennedy. And uh, lo and behold, as I was standing there in front of the washroom, I heard shuffling of feet and I saw cameras flashing at the top of the stairs and everything. And lo and behold, I looked up at the top of the stairs and here comes President Kennedy down the steps. <laughs> the first thing as fate would have it that he wanted to do when he arrived at McCormick Place was use the washroom. Too much coffee, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Too much coffee. And uh, there I stood. What, what, what an irony, you know. So uh, the president walked up to me and uh, uh, he stopped all of a sudden. Well, I was a pretty big boy then. I was weighing about 225 pounds of muscle and everything. And I was thinking maybe I'm blocking the door or something. So I looked behind me and tried to step aside. The president moved right in front of me again. And he asked me a question. He said, are you a Secret Service agent or one of you Mayor Daly's finest? Assembly Secret Service agent, Mr. President. And one of the agents, Dick Jordan, who was standing nearby, said, that's Agent Bolden, say he's uh, stationed here in Chicago. The president looked me in the eye and he smiled, his eyes glittered. He says, Mr. Bolden, he said, has there ever been a Negro on the Secret Service detail in, in uh, Washington, D.C.? I said, not to my knowledge, Mr. President. And he looked around at Mayor Daly and Congressman Dawson and he smiled. So would you like to be the first? I said, yes, sir, Mr. President. I almost fell out of my cheek, too. <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't believe that this was happening. Here was the President of the United States asking me if I wanted to be the first African-American on the Secret Service White House detail, of course. I told him, I sure will, Mr. President, and on that uh, June the 6th of 1961, I was sent to the White House to become the first African-American on the White House detail. Folks, Abraham Bolden is our guest tonight. His book is called The Echo from Daly Plaza. He is the first African-American Secret Service agent, handpicked by John F. Kennedy himself, folks. Uh, he was not on duty that day, and I can rest assure you folks that if he was, President Kennedy would still be with us without question. Um, easy way to get his book, folks, uh, www.nightfrightshow.com. 
www.tonightsguestbook.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order it from the comfort of your own armchair. If you're just joining us, folks, we're just getting underway. Settle in. Get ready for a wonderful, wonderful show. If the kids are around, bring them in the room. Often I'll say, get them out of the room. This is a show that will inspire your children. This is a true hero. You know, sports heroes are all fine in their own right, but this is a real living hero and I would love your kids to come in the room and hear Mr. Bolden tonight. Let's go back to Mr. Bolden. Mr. Bolden, um, what type of training did they give you? Did they give you adequate, adequate, I'll get the word out yet, adequate, adequate training in those days? Uh, no, they did not. I had attended the uh, uh, Secret Service uh, Treasury Training School, but not the Secret Service School. I had uh, been to the uh, Treasury Agent Training Academy, uh, which uh, had to do with the general operation of the Treasury Department and the duties of a Secret Service agent. But there was no specialized training whatsoever in regard to the protection of the President of the United States. Now, when I went to um, uh, Washington, D.C., as a new agent, I had heard talk of the conduct of the agents surrounding the president from other agents who had preceded me on the White House detail. And oftentimes, they would talk about the good times that they had, the parties that were being thrown on the press plane, and the, the uh, different girls and different places that they were going. But I didn't, I didn't know that for myself. You understand. So the first thing I wanted to do when I got to the White House detail was see if these rumors were true. And of course, I, I found out shortly thereafter when the president went to Annisport, Massachusetts, that this was in fact true, that there was a lot of lollygagging around, there was a laxity. And another thing that horrified me, I found that several of the agents who surrounded the president actually hated the president. They disliked him because of, of what happened in the uh, Bay of Pigs. They disliked him because of his stand on civil rights. They disliked him for his, for his religion. There, there were just so many things that they disliked President Kennedy for that I felt that he was really in immediate danger, taken into consideration of their conduct, which was unbecoming a Secret Service agent, and which I thought endangered the life of President Kennedy. As a matter of fact, I was absolutely shocked when I heard a few agents that were discussing uh, protecting the president. And I happened to be near them, and they had made a habit of talking. They, they, they didn't realize that I was there many times because they were not accustomed to some outsider being there. They had somewhat of a good old boys club and so they would have conversation and then all of a sudden it's a oops type of thing that uh, we didn't know he was here you understand so now i heard agents discussing the protection of the president and one of them said that if someone tried to assassinate president kennedy i wouldn't protect him and i thought this was really something for an agent to say and this was one of the more experienced agents on the detail. Can you give us his name, sir? Would that be appropriate? No, I, I, I won't do that. I understand that he's passed away. 
and it wouldn't be fair to him because he is not here to answer at this particular time. I want him to be able to defend himself against this, this charge. However, now, I heard that with my own uh, two ears. I also heard that report, that same thing repeated in Chicago, Illinois. Now, here's the thing about it. You have to understand that during that time, the civil rights movement was at a critical period. That's right. Uh, it was one of these black and white issues. You were either on one side or the other. People were being lynched in, in, in Mississippi. They were being shot at. There were white people who were, who were actually pulling for civil rights. There were those who were diametrically opposed to it. And the country was really divided. And President Kennedy made no bones about it. He came down squarely. Uh, on the side of the Constitution of the United States. He didn't come down on the side of black people. He was for America and for the people of America to have the same opportunity amongst each other as other races had. This is all that the president wanted. He was not trying to grant any special privileges to the blacks of America, but he wanted the playing field to be level for blacks, for women, for Catholic, for, for whoever, as our Constitution uh, uh, required. And he was hated for that. And uh, uh, of, of course, uh, those who are my age or older can recall the Emmett Till case, which had just happened in 1954. The country was all set up about that, where this young black man was lynched, and then we had other things that were going on. We had four uh, members uh, who went to uh, Mississippi who were killed, and they came up missing because they were in Mississippi for the purpose of helping the people register to vote. And these were not all Negroes or black people. You had one Jew was there, you had a white, Michael Swerny, and then you had others who were there. And uh, Can I just interrupt you, sir, for a second? Uh, folks, I just want to orientate you a little bit. That uh, What he's referring to is something called Mississippi burning. And uh, there were three civil rights workers um, that were taken out and killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Now, uh, the movie Mississippi Burning is a great way to, to focus in on that story. It's just a wonderful story. Uh, also, I wanted to mention the Bay of Pigs, of course. Uh, a lot of people were mad at Kennedy because they felt he was soft on communism, because they felt he should have supported the Cuban exiles that were going back into Cuba to try and... Uh, raise a revolution against Fidel Castro that had just come to power, who of course was pro-communist. Uh, Kennedy did not bite. He knew the um, the plan was set to fail, and um, he uh, felt that he had been blackmailed into going into that plan. Uh, there was another uh, incident that, that I wanted to mention too about uh, President Kennedy's religion. President Kennedy was the first Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic, and um, in my speakings with Ted Sorensen, who was uh, JFK's closest aide and his speechwriter, he was telling me that um, when they were campaigning, there were those in the southern states that actually believed that the Pope could control President Kennedy through telepathy, um, control his thoughts. Uh, this was the type of... Um, 
ignorance, I guess. I, I'm not going to call it racism or anything. Just plain ignorance, uh, stupidity, if you will, that was very, very prevalent in those days. And Mr. Bolden is absolutely correct. Uh, the civil rights uh, movement was very polarizing. You had a very, very staunch conservative um, Bible belt, I guess you could say, against civil rights in the southern states. And then you had more of the... Um, I guess the younger people were taking the reins uh, under the guidance at that time of Martin Luther King. There was many more people that were involved. Uh, we'll get to that in a future show uh, with Mark Lane, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Bolden. It's just that a lot of the um, my audience are students, and uh, they've, they're 20 years old, and uh, they, a lot of them were born in the late 80s, 90s, around there. And for them, uh, civil rights and Mr. Mr. Kennedy, all the things that we grew up with, our ancient history. So much so that Minnie Jean Brown was on the show, uh, The Little Rock Nine, and someone had asked her when she was going to high school um, in Little Rock if she had a white boyfriend. Uh, you know, because they just don't understand, sir. So this is why I wanted to orientate folks. I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir. Let's go back to Mr. Kennedy. Please, sir. That's the reason it's so necessary for our, our younger youth who, who are coming after us to understand what happened. Because you know the whole saying is that those that don't know their history are bound to repeat it. That's right. And so, so knowledge is power. Knowledge and understanding and wisdom is power. So now we have to understand when I was on the White House detail, I was very alarmed because I found out that the Secret Service agents who were surrounding the president had lost their real focus because the duty of a Secret Service agent is a constitutional duty. We are protecting a constitutional office of the presidency of the United States, no matter who it is, no matter who it is. I like John Kennedy very much. I was very much impressed with him. My people were very much impressed with him. And there were many in the countries, and especially in foreign countries, who were very impressed with this young president but that the main focus that we were there for is to make sure that American people's elected officials were safe and that no one was allowed or permitted to change our government by force. Now, the Secret Service was delegated this responsibility by the Congress of the United States to protect that president and make sure that we have an orderly transfer of power. Now that focus had been lost by some of the agents and they were looking at an uh, individualistic attitude towards President Kennedy as a man and not as the president of these United States of America. The American people, they deserved better. Uh, they deserved agents who understood their function and understood the gravity of that undertaking. And I think that they were losing focus of that and I went into the chief of the United States Secret Service and told him, just like I'm explaining to the American people and to your audience now, is that the attitude of the Secret Service, their conduct, their lackadaisical attitude, the drinking, the prostitutes, the, the, the reporting for work not on time and unable to function and operate, all of these things were going to come together at some point in time. And if an assassination attempt were made on President Kennedy, it would be successful. I looked him in his eyes and told him it will be successful. 
what was his reaction, sir, to that? Because we're all under the impression the Secret Service, from the time that they became um, the Secret Service, has always been on that razor's edge of alertness, of ready to respond at a split second. What was his response to your accusations? Well, he told me, for one thing, that he would look into it. Another thing that he said is that when new agents come on the detail, things have a tendency to look, to look more critical than they are. And they, they view things from an uh, inexperienced uh, point of view. But he, uh, he told me that he would look into it and, and see if there were some changes that should be made, that he would report it to Chief Rowley, who was then the chief of the White House detail. He would discuss it with him. Well, it never happened, apparently because that same old conduct continued uh, when the president came to Chicago in 1963. I saw the same conduct, the same attitude towards the president and everything. And beyond that, there were serious threats against the president that were taking place throughout the United States of America. Hold on to that for a second, sir. I want to go to those uh, threats. And uh, folks, I just want to let you know, we're speaking with a real hero tonight with a question. The kids are around. Bring him in the room because I want you to be inspired by this man and what he says. He is a true hero, folks. He's the first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by John Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald Kennedy himself. Easy way to get his book, The Echo at Daily of the echo from Daily Plaza. I, my words, I have a bit of a sore throat and a bit of a fever tonight, folks. I apologize in advance to Mr. Bolden. Um, easy way to get the book, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover. That'll take you right to a place where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Mr. Bolden, you alluded to several plots that were underway. Um, I was wondering if we could start off with uh, the... Um, Echevera plot um, and, and the uh, the hearsay uh, December 21st, uh, I think it was the day before President Kennedy was shot. Uh, there was a rumor afoot that uh, the President Kennedy would be shot indeed. Could we talk yeah, a little uh, bit about that, sir? Absolutely. The agent who was investigating that case, as a matter of fact, his office was right next to mine. And uh, we would discuss his investigation at times, and he told me personally that uh, Echevarria had been known to have said that President Kennedy was going to be assassinated, that the money had been put up by a group who were sponsoring the assassination of President Kennedy. Now, the next day, the president was assassinated. Now, this investigation of Echevarria had been going on since October of 1963. We had an informant on the inside of the organization when Echevarria said these things concerning the president. And now, Joe Noonan, who was the investigator on the case, said that, in his opinion, the FBI and the CIA were obstructing his investigation for some reason, and he was very concerned about that. And after that, the president was assassinated. Now, here we have an investigation that's going on from October up into the time that the president is assassinated. Now, after November the 22nd, around November the 26th, 
The investigators who had been in Dallas, Texas, after Oswald was assassinated, came to Chicago. And they took these reports of an assassination uh, 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 prediction by Echeverry. They gathered all of these reports up and redictated those reports. And they changed the dates to, the, to make it seem as though Echeverry said these things after the president was assassinated. You, you, you see. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, after the president. Folks, Echeverra was a Cuban exile, as I mentioned before about the pigs. Uh, there was those that uh, fled Cuba right after the 1959 Castro Revolution um, when he came to power. They fled. Most of them went to Miami. And from that point on um, till today, they're still trying to go back into Cuba and take over Cuba. In those days, it was really rampant because the revolution was very fresh that had taken place in 1959. Echeverra was thought to be a gun runner. And as Mr. Bolden has just told us, um, the Cuban exiles were very angry with Kennedy because they felt that he should have provided American sea power, air power, and uh, sent in the Marines if, if need be uh, to take over Cuba, and Kennedy was not dead set against doing that. Echo from Daily Plaza is the name of the book, Mr. Abraham Bolden, an American hero, a true hero for everyone, folks www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. Get the book. We're going to get into some more of the stories. That was one of them, sir, that was covered up. The other one was Thomas Valet. Now, in reading your book, Thomas Valet reminded me very much of another patsy, Lee, R Lee Harvey Oswald. Can we talk about Thomas Valet, sir? Yes, he did. Thomas Valet was an ex-Marine, just like Oswald was. He had some connections with the uh, CIA, just as Oswald did, it has been reported. And uh, he was in Chicago. And a lady happened to uh, go to a hotel room, a room where he, was, where he was living. I believe that it was his room. I'm not absolutely positive of that. But she the room had been rented out to a couple Cubans, but there were white guys that were coming in also and visiting these, these Cubans who were there. Now, uh, claims that she saw rifles with telescopic sight. I don't know under what situation she saw them, whether she saw them in the closet, on the bed, or up under the bed. I don't know, but she reported that they were there. The FBI reported that to the United States Secret Service. The United States Secret Service started begun an investigation on it, and unfortunately, they muffed the investigation when one of the agents who were had uh, these Cubans under surveillance passed by the Cubans as they were loading something in the back of their car in the alley, and his radio blurted out, uh, his two-way walkie-talkie radio blurted out a message from the base office and they took off running. Now, we still had a bead on Thomas Bailey. He was picked up by the Chicago police on the scheme that was concocted between the, the Secret Service and the, and the Chicago police. When they arrested Bailey for having one tail light out, they searched his vehicle. They indeed found rifles in the back, explosive. I mean, real explosive. This man could have done a lot of damage. 
And I understand from those who were Thomas D. Strong, who was one of the agents who interviewed him, interviewed Bali, that Bali said that he was working for the CIA. And after that, Bali was released and unheard of again, so far as the Secret Service was concerned. So what happened November 1st to make President Kennedy postpone his trip, uh, cancel his trip at the last second to Chicago? Was it a threat against his life? Yes, it absolutely was, yes. That's the reason that he canceled, and it's all tied in, I, I believe, uh, that it's all tied in with the Bali operation and the Cuban operation that was going on in Chicago at that particular time. There were so many conspiracies going on against the president at that time, it's hard to separate them. You also had one in Miami, Florida, where a telephone was tapped, where the sheriff had actually had an undercover man had a conversation with a, with a person whose name was Miltier. White supremacist. Uh, yes, that's right. And, and, and they, they tapped this conversation uh, where Miltier said, uh, where one of the persons asked Miltier said, so what's the best way to kill a president? And Miltier answered, uh, he says, from a tall building with a rifle and a telescopic sight. And that's exactly the way that the president was killed. Exactly. And so you can see that the schemes and designs were in motion and they, they were national all the way across the United States of America. In Dallas, Texas, there were warnings that something like this could happen. There were uh, advertisements in the paper calling President Kennedy a traitor. traitor. And there were other indications that he shouldn't come to Dallas. And, but this information was not relayed properly as the AARB found out. The Assassination Review Board found out that the Secret Service sat on much of this information and did not pass it on to the advanced detail in Dallas, Texas. And this permitted candidates to walk into a blind trap. You see now, the, the president, as some agents have claimed, did not order the Secret Service agents not to protect him or not to stand on the running board. Now, that came out after that the president was assassinated. The agent said that the president said he didn't want us around or anything. That's ridiculous. I had The only time that I heard that was after the president was assassinated. President Kennedy had a reputation of not interfering with the United States Secret Service or their conduct. Now, mind you, I want to be fair to the Secret Service, Grant. The Secret Service was a small organization. They were under-budgeted. Uh, it seems to me that Congress at that time had an attitude, well, nothing is going to happen to our presidents. And, Every time that Chief Bauman went before the Congress to try to get more money, it was turned down. He was given them a minimum of what he would ask for. And it was a tiresome job. Agents worked long hours. They worked seven days a week, many of them. And they became tired and they would look, look for relief. And, but they would carry it too far in that they would carry it to the point where 
an agent who would have to be on duty at 7 o'clock in the morning would get in at 5 o'clock in the morning smelling as alcohol. Now he has to be on post at 7 o'clock, just two hours from then. Now the American people deserve better than that. And me, by me having sworn to be on this White House detail, I felt that I owed it, number one, to President Kennedy, number two, to the people of America, in order to bring forth the facts that I knew about the protection surrounding President Kennedy and try to get to the bottom of who assassinated a president of the United States, which was the most heinous crime that a person could think about. Abraham Bolden is our guest tonight, folks. The book is called The Echo from Daly Plaza, the first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by John Fitzgerald Kennedy himself. Folks, easy way to get the book is always www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order this book online from the comfort of your own home. Um, Mr. Bolden, in the movie JFK, um, Mannix, if you will, uh, Colonel Prouty, um, goes on to say that the protection was such that there was a lot of open windows, uh, things that should never have taken place were part and parcel, um, just more ineptitude on the Secret Service part. Actually, in the movie, they kind of alluded to Secret Service, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Secret Service participation in the planning and the carrying out of the assassination. Do you hold credence to all of that? Because I found prior photos, prior videos of President Kennedy, and it looked like he was just sitting on top of an open limo many, many times, lots of open windows in various cities around the country, Chicago being one of them with people waving at him. I, I don't know if that would be true. He talks about that Colonel Prouty in Daly Plaza with all the open windows and stuff. Do you hold credence to that? Uh, well, I do hold credence to, to this extent in that the Secret Service were very lax in their duty in uh, upfront protection of President Kennedy. Some things that they were known to have done, they didn't do in this particular case. Now, was it because they were a part of a conspiracy? I don't think that the agents who were on site at the particular time that the president was assassinated was part of any conspiracy. As you know, that there is a lot of talk about uh, Greer, who was driving the president's car. Uh, uh, he, he allegedly stopped and gave the assassins uh, an opportunity to get the headshot on the president. That is what some said. And others have said that, that uh, Greer shot the president himself. I don't believe any of those theories. I do believe this, that the Secret Service uh, uh, were so disoriented and that they had abdicated their responsibility during the night before that the president was assassinated. They were in no physical or mental condition to respond to the assassination attempt that was being made on the president. I agree with you completely, sir. But you know, folks, um, not that it's ever happened to me, but you know when you're drunk and it's hot out and you haven't slept the night before, you're hungover, you're dozy. You know, you're just goofy. You're kind of like, oh. Imagine trying to be on your 
on your guard to protect the President of the United States. You hear a shot and it's going to sound like you're in a dream or something uh, with the sun beating down on you and you're half asleep and you're still hung over the alcohols, still trying to work its way through your system. You just aren't going to react. And that's exactly what Mr. Bolden feared and exactly what took place November 22nd, 1963. Mr. Bolden, Hyannisport. Let's go to Hyannisport. There's a story there about Harvey Henderson I'd like the people to hear. Yes, yes. Well, Harvey Henderson took the place of Stu Stout. A, a, a very, uh, Stu Stout was a very, very good uh, supervisor. Stu Stout and I, as I bring out in the echo from Dieter Glass, I had a lot of respect for Stu Stout. Well, when we went to Hyannisport, I believe that Stu Stout uh, was on vacation. Harvey Henderson took his place. Now, Harvey Henderson was from Mississippi. He was dead set against President Kennedy. He was one of them that was in the group that we discussed earlier who said that they would not protect President Kennedy. Of course, he was put off of the detail prior to the Dallas incident. I think that the President Kennedy asked that Harvey Henderson for some reason be kicked off for the detail. But anyway, Harvey Henderson had a deep dislike for my people, for black people. He just did not like black people. He referred to them as niggers. And as we were sitting in the hotel room one day in the little safe house that we were living in, uh, Harvey Henderson, after we had come in and the president had placed me on his yacht, had fed me uh, with, with, with uh, uh, sent, sent me a lunch of that clam chowder, that New England clam chowder. And man, was it really good, I'm telling you. And Harvey was observing that. And, and uh, when the president took me and introduced me to uh, Bobby Kennedy, and we had a conversation there uh, as the president was leaving the yacht, and he introduced me to his family, uh, to his father, his mother, and everybody on the porch. Harvey was just standing by watching. And I could tell that he was about to ball over. So when we got back to the little room, Harvey looked at me and he was drinking beer. He was on about his fourth or fifth beer at that particular time. He looked at me and he said, Bolden, I says, what, Harvey? He says, I want to tell you something and don't you ever forget it. And he slid forward on the couch a little bit and he says, you a nigger, you were born a nigger, you're gonna die a nigger and you'll never be anything else but a nigger, so act like one. Now, that, now, he was my immediate supervisor. Now, such uh, racism uh, did not belong in the Secret Service. We're supposed to be, have one common interest, and that is to guard the safety of the President of the United States. Now, as I told Harvey, I love you too, Harvey. And I did, because I pitied Harvey. Mm. Because a man so full of hate He's burning up himself from the inside out. He's burning up him own, his, his own self. And we know one thing, is that love is gonna win out in the end. So I'm not concerned about uh, propagating hate for any religion or race or anybody. And now, but, that soured me so far as the detail was concerned because I knew that I could not operate 
under that type of uh, environment because something was going to flare up. Either Harvey was going to send me to my maker or I was going to send him to heels. And I was really a better shot than Harvey. I was an expert with both hands. <laughs> on the custom, I shot a perfect score the first time that it happened on the custom range in Washington, D.C. Shot a perfect score with both hands with a handgun, uh, automatic rifle, and the, the whole shebang. And Harvey uh, would have been at a loss. But anyway, it didn't come to that. But I did. It's a good thing that. you loved him, sir. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a good thing I did because I could have lit him up in five seconds. <laughs> you could have loved him to death, sir. You could have loved him to death. Yes, indeed. But that would have been all of the trust that President Kennedy had placed in me because when he introduced me to Pierre Solomon, the president gave me a message. He called Pierre over, and Pierre was an avid baseball fan. He told Pierre, he says, I want you to meet someone. Pierre was, was the, uh, was the uh, uh, press, secretary. press secretary at that time. He says, I want you to meet Abraham Bolden. It says, he's the Jacket Robinson of the Secret Service. And really, I mean, that really got me right in the heart because he was telegraphing to me, he was saying to me, Bolden, I know it's going to be rough. You're the first one, but I'm depending on you now. Don't let me down. You understand? You, you, you're going to have to be like Jackie Robinson because that's the way I'm looking at you. I'm introducing you and telegraphing to you what I expect. And I would not for any reason let the president down now. And that's what guided me to want to go before the Warren Commission because I had sworn to give my life to President Kennedy. And when I saw all of the cover-ups that were going on after the assassination, I had a decision to make. I had a decision to make as a citizen of the United States of America. I had a citizen to, I had a decision to make as a Secret Service agent. I had a decision to make as one who is interested in the advancement of democracy of the United States of America. And I made that decision to put my life on the line, just like the soldiers are putting their life on the line right now, in order to protect this democracy. And we have to learn to stand up here in America and other places. We have to learn to stand up that we have to be willing to make the sacrifice. We have young men who have just started growing a beard and they're going to these countries, they're dying, they're giving their life, their ultimate life in order to protect our freedom of speech, our freedom to, to do certain things and the freedom of happiness. And we have to be willing to, to subsidize them with our own life if necessary. We can't be afraid because freedom is not free. You see, our men are shedding blood all over the world now. And we have to be willing to take a sacrifice ourselves. We can't just depend on them because we are the fisheries of the democracy in which we live. 
and we can't ever forget that. Folks, aren't you glad you brought the kids in to hear Mr. Bolden? When was the last time you heard somebody speak like that? Perhaps 1963 with a, a president? Maybe. Um, what an inspiration. I've got goosebumps, sir. Thank you so much for that. Folks, the book is called The Echo from Daily Plaza, A Real True Hero. I'm glad you brought the kids in the room. If there's some little ones still outside, bring them in. There's more coming. com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. As always, that will take you to a place where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. This is a real living hero, folks, without question. First African-American Secret Service agent, handpicked by John F. Kennedy himself. Sir, um... Hyannisport was kind of a turning point for you. Uh, can we tell, because I, I like to counter a negative, sir, with all that, that N-word stuff that was uh, just thrown at you by Harvey Henderson and others. Can we tell that wonderful story about Carolyn Kennedy and Jacqueline Kennedy, how you protected them? I love this story, folks. You go, you're going to love it, too. I hope the kids are in the room because this is priceless. I never will forget it. I happened to be on a post which was near the ocean. And uh, I was sitting up on that chair, big umbrella and everything. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw Jacqueline Kennedy approaching. And she had little Carolyn Kennedy, who was in one of those little sun suits. And she had a little bucket with her. Uh, little, it was a little shovel there. And uh, Mrs. Kennedy walked up to me. She says, would you mind watching Carolyn while I take a swim? I said, no, I wouldn't, Mrs. Kennedy. I said, she says, all right. So she walks off. And look, Carolyn, she's playing in the sand. She's putting the sand in the bucket. But she's watching me all the time. And finally, she broke her silence. She says, uh, what's your name? I say, Abraham. And uh, she says, Abraham. I say, yes, Abraham. And she says, do you have a daughter? I say, yes, I do. And she said, can I play with her? I said, yes. I said, sure you can. But she's in Chicago. And look out and start playing again. And she, she was just thinking as she was filling up a little sand, fucking and dumping it back out, filling up and dump it back out. Then she had a thought. She came back over. She said, I can come to Chicago. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was so cute. By that time, uh, uh, Mrs. Kennedy was walking back and she was drying herself off from the little swim, short swim. And I heard Carolyn as they were walking away ask her mother, say, she said, Mommy, can we go to Chicago? And I just thought that was so beautiful, and, and you, you know, and, and now you know she wouldn't have understood. But uh, if I told her the fact, I'd say, "Yeah, your father owned Chicago." <laughs> I had met, I had the honor of meeting Carolyn Kennedy at Ted Sorensen's um, uh, memorial. And uh, I, I'm going to send this uh, little vignette to her. I hope you don't mind, sir, because I'm sure she would love that at this point. I've been trying to contact Carolyn. She could do me a lot of good in, yes, in yes. Uh, contacting uh, President Obama. What, what I would like to have is a vacation of the conviction. 
Now we had thought about part, and there's been a, a way to get me a part. But, uh, sir, I cannot in, in good faith accept a pardon because it says that, that you have to show contrition for a crime committed against the United States government. Now, in the two trials that I had after the two trials and my conviction, one of the key witnesses admitted that the whole thing was a frame, that, that they framed up that the government wanted to silence me. Spagnoli. That's right, Spagnoli. And in that whole process, I was ill-treated while I was in government custody. As a matter of fact, uh, there was an effort to declare me insane. I was sure, sir, I should just interrupt and tell folks. Um, folks, Mr. Bolden, after the assassination, when he went to the Warren Commission, was subsequently set up by the CIA, uh, CIA I'm sorry, could have been the CIA too, the uh, Secret yeah. Service to silence him because they were so ashamed of what they had not done, and they had a dead president on their hand. So they ended up um, trying to silence him, essentially. And uh, they convicted him for a crime he did not commit. Uh, the judge, it seems, was in on it. All that, folks, that story is in the book, The Echo from Daily Plaza. Uh, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. I'm looking at the time. We're going to have to rush, sir. Uh, unless, sir, do you want to stick around for another show? I can stick around. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let's set up the second show uh, in the next four minutes because that's all we've got. Um, what led, sir, to um, your con not your conviction, but what led to the charges? How did that come about? Uh, the telephone booth and all that stuff. Yes. Right. Well. When I went to Washington, D.C. on May the 17th, I was there to attend the Secret Service training school. But I had been complaining so hard back in Chicago that I had uh, brought the attention of the special agent in charge of Chicago, Mr. Martinaugh, and, and other agents and the inspectors from Washington, D.C. So they didn't trust me to keep my mouth shut because they knew the type of person that I was. I was not afraid to, to tell the truth. And as a matter of fact, when I went to Washington, D.C. on the May the 17th of 1964, the first thing that I did was go to a telephone booth and I wanted to contact J. Lee Rankin, who was the general counsel of the Warren Commission, and tell him what I knew of threats to assassinate president. And then I was charged with soliciting a bribe from two of the criminals that I had arrested. I had arrested one of them twice, as a matter of fact. The second time I found the whole counterfeiting plan in his, in his house. I found the money, I found the press, the ink, the whole shebang was in his house. And they used him to testify against me. Now, that, that would, would, would have never stuck, except that the judge during the deliberation of the jury, and, and this was the first trial, the judge called the jury out while they were deliberating and said, told the jury now, in my opinion, the evidence shows that the defendant is guilty of counts one, two, and three of the indictment. A, a true violation of the Constitution of the United States. Then he told them, now go back in and consider the verdict, taking into consideration 
the statement that I just made. So, so Mr. Bolden, Mr. We're going we're gonna to end it right there, but I just want to tell folks, now here's the judge in this case, folks, telling the jury how to find, how to, whether Mr. Bolden is guilty or not. Can you imagine anything so blatantly anti-democratic, anti, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it just goes right against, it flies right against the, the Constitution of the United States, and I would argue the Constitution of Canada, too. Mr. Bolden's been our guest tonight, folks. This is going to continue. Um, there's just so much to this story, I realize now that I'm not going to get it in in a single hour. So please do stick with us. Uh, we're going to be uh, taping this show right away in just a few seconds, and um, we're going to see if we can get it on the television back to back because uh, a lot of things have changed on cable TV right now. We might be able to do that. So I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Once again, our guest tonight has been Mr. Abraham Bolden, the first African American Secret Service agent handpicked by JFK himself. I was not on duty that day, and I can rest assured, folks, uh, to tell you that if he was. Um, we would have a live president today. Mr. Kennedy would not have been killed. I can guarantee that. The book is called The Echo from Daily Plaza. Please go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. As always, click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Stick around, folks. This show continues, and it, we're going to get into some really hairy stuff now because Mr. Bolin was thrown into the penitentiary, and the horrors he went through there for a crime he did not commit. And we're going to talk about uh, the possibilities of um, Will Smith playing you also, sir, in, in uh, an upcoming feature film about you as well. Folks, I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. You're listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. Hey.